Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Kimberly Robinson. And I'm Lydia Wheeler. Well, Lydia, the court is on a short break, but there's still been a lot of action on the emergency docket. We'll get to that a little bit later. But first, let's talk about the special sitting that the court is holding on February 8th. The justices will hear arguments that day in President Trump's appeal to stay on the 2024 primary ballot in Colorado. As a reminder to our listeners, the justices are being asked in the case to decide broad questions about whether Trump engaged in an insurrection. Uh, We're planning to do a deep dive into that on next week's episode. But today we're going to talk about how big of a spectacle this case could actually be. Yeah, the court won't tell us anything about uh, how it's preparing security-wise for this case, which could end up being its biggest of the term. We don't know how it's prepping um, for the possibility that the former president actually attends the hearing. So we're still not sure if he will or won't yet. And given all those unknowns, I thought that we could look at how lower courts around the country are handling their trials involving Trump. Here to give us some insight on that is our colleague Suzanne Moniak who covers the judiciary for Bloomberg Law. Thanks for having me on. So you wrote about the security challenges the judiciary faced with multiple trials involving the Republican presidential frontrunner. Can you start off just by telling us about some of the threats that came in ahead of those hearings? Absolutely. There were a number of threats made against judges who've been overseeing cases involving the president. Here in D.C., Judge Tanya Chutkin had a swatting call made against her home. Um, That's when someone places... Uh, essentially a false police report in an attempt to drive a heightened police presence to that person's house, which can be dangerous at times. And also in New York State, where Trump was having a civil fraud trial at the time, separate from his criminal charges, more on those later, um, there was another swatting call, this one related to a false bomb threat at the residence in Long Island of New York State Court Justice Arthur Ungaron. Okay, so you mentioned a couple of the cases against Trump. Can you remind listeners where these cases are around the country and sort of broadly what they're about? Absolutely. It is quite the legal mess. Uh, Trump is facing criminal charges in four courts across the country. Two of those cases are focused on election interference of the 2020 presidential election. In D.C. federal court, he's facing election obstruction charges related to his behavior for the January 6, 2021 insurrection on the U.S. Capitol. And in a state court in Atlanta, he's been accused of urging Georgia state officials to essentially find votes in his favor. In Miami, he is facing separate charges that he mishandled classified documents that were held at his hotel in Mar-a-Lago. And in New York State Court and Manhattan, he is accused of covering up hush money payments made to adult film actress Stormy Daniels during the campaign. A lot of courts involved there. So can you tell us how these courts are preparing in terms of security measures for these these hearings? Former marshals tell me that the types of security measures that we might expect to see at these upcoming trials, which could start as soon as March, could include physical barricades to guide the flow of foot traffic outside the courthouse, maybe even within the courthouse. That would also create space between the crowds and the courthouse walls. This would give law enforcement agents more time to react if there were a threat outside the courthouse before they would actually reach the entrance. In the D.C. courthouse, for example, right now in federal court, uh, spectators of court cases need to go through a metal detector when they enter the courthouse. One possible measure we might see if Trump is attending these trials would be an additional metal detector outside the courtroom itself within the building. We are also likely to see a lot, a lot of law enforcement presence. A number of law enforcement agencies are involved in protecting courthouses. In addition to the marshals, we're going to see needed coordination with local police patrolling the streets around the courthouse. 
as well as coordination with the Federal Protective Service within the Department of Homeland Security. And an added layer here is that since Trump is a former president, there'll need to be coordination with the Secret Service as well. Hmm. That's interesting. A lot of extra security, it seems like, for these cases. But a lot of the the courthouses where these things are taking place have already had some pretty high-profile cases before, right? For sure. In New York's, for example, there have actually already been um, some civil cases. In New York State Court, uh, we had Trump recently just wrapped up trial uh, related to charges that he falsified documents to get favorable loan terms. So that was in New York State Court. And in New York Federal Court, uh, he's currently facing potential damages related to writer Eugene Carroll. Looking historically, sources I spoke to, including former federal judges, former marshals, pointed to a number of cases in years past as well, separate from Trump. Um, They mentioned the World Trade Center bombing in the 90s, the Unabomber case, El Chapo, mob cases. But they all sort of told me the same thing, which was that they saw this case as being a little bit different. And that's for a couple of reasons. This person, Donald Trump, is not just a famous person like we'll see sometimes in some of these other cases. He's a former president. And so that means Secret Service detail, which is an added law enforcement challenge. He's also actively running for president. And I think that's the layer here that really creates the most type of security challenge um, in these cases especially because of the way that he's handling these trials. He's using them as campaign fodder. We can really expect him to be doing impromptu press conferences outside the courthouse steps. He's posting about these cases on Truth Social. And this could be something that sort of incites his base. He's complaining about the rulings against him. And so this is something that could really drum up outrage among his supporters. And that could potentially present a security risk um, as the trials continue. I thought it was really interesting, the types of different security measures that, you know, you're seeing in the lower courts, you know, having to go through another metal detector before you actually enter the courtroom itself. You know, the Supreme Court already functions a bit differently. We have to go through those metal detectors before you actually go into the courtroom. You know, because of that, because the Supreme Court is a little bit of a different beast here, um, you know, I think that the closest court we can look to really is the D.C. Circuit and kind of how, you know, they handled uh, Trump's appearance there. So how did the uh, D.C. Circuit handle his appearance there to make sure that everybody was safe. We saw barricades of snowplows lining the courthouse. We saw significant law enforcement present both on the streets as well as patrolling on rooftops. There's also been individual security for the judges. Judge Tanya Chutkin has a personal security detail as a result of threats made against her both the room I mentioned recently as well as threats in the past. It wasn't the first time. And so I think we can expect to see, I'm sure, more of that at the Supreme Court, physical barricades outside, and potentially increased personal protection for the justices if there are individual threats made. That would be something the marshals would handle. So that sounds like a lot of stuff to get ready. Did the court know in advance that Donald Trump was going to be attending the arguments? The court certainly would have known in advance, as Secret Service and other law enforcement agencies would have needed to coordinate ahead of time. But Trump actually made sure the whole public knew in advance, and he posted on Truth Social the day before that he would be there in attendance in person and also took it as an opportunity to complain about the case against him. And so if the court had wanted to keep that to themselves, he did not give them the option to do so. Well, I guess we're going to have to keep our eyes on Truth Social then to see if Trump says whether he's going to show up to the Supreme Court on February 8th. But um, if he does, you know, Kimberly, do you know if he would even get a seat in the courtroom or how that whole process would work? Because we know people like have to line up outside and stand for sometimes overnight, you know, just to get one of those very coveted seats in the court. So, yeah, I imagine that Donald Trump is probably going to try to camp out in front of the Supreme Court. Um <laughs> 
Probably not, actually. So the Supreme Court does allow attorneys who are arguing to reserve a certain number of seats at the Supreme Court. They do have to let the court know in advance, I'm sure, in this particular circumstance, you know, for all the reasons that Suzanne listed, they're going to want to do that as early as they possibly can because of the security measures. Um, But one thing that we can sort of look to, maybe, I don't know, uh, is the case against former Virginia Governor Bob McDonald uh, that was argued at the court. He did attend that trial um, as a client and so sort of maybe get a little hint about where Trump might be in the courtroom. Um, Bob McDonald actually sat in the public section, which is behind, um, you know, half of the courtroom in the bar section. I don't know if the court would do the same thing. It does have sort of a VIP section for guests of the justices. But, you know, since Donald Trump is a party, I don't know if he would be, if that would be kosher to have him as a guest. There's also sort of a, a nice, comfy little uh, couch type row for dignitaries. But again, those are at the invitation of the justices. So so I don't know, um, but we'll see. My, I, I will have my same seat in the courtroom. <laughs> I really do hope that they sit him in the public section where they sat Bob McDonald, because that is like the perfect view from the seat that I typically get. So that would be really good. And so I you can really see, watch to see what yeah. the facial expressions are. I think that's going to be a big focus of the arguments. You know, the, uh, the courtroom artists are really going to be uh, honing in there on what, you know, what faces he makes. And also very curious to see if he says anything out loud. I mean, if he mumbles anything or speaks and what happens then if he does, because I've been told by sources that if you speak at the Supreme Court or disrupt the proceedings at all, you are ejected by the court marshals. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens if he does attend. Yeah, I'm really I'm sure that the Supreme Court police are really looking forward to the opportunity to uh, have to eject a former president from from the Supreme Court. I'm sure you'd go quietly. (laughs) Potentially. (laughs) Well, definitely uh, lots to watch out for there. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you being on. Thanks again for having me. So, Kimberly, You teased at the top of the show that there's been some action on the court's emergency docket. You know, one of those was a dispute between the Biden administration and the state of Texas. So what was going on there? This dispute has gotten even wilder than when we started sort of talking or planning for this podcast. So just a little recap that Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott launched Operation Lone Star in 2021 in response to what he says is the federal government's failed efforts to stem illegal immigration at the southern border. As part of that operation, the state has erected razor wire along the Rio Grande, and the Biden administration says that that wire fencing actually inhibits it from, you know, policing the border and that it poses a risk to human life. They asked the justices earlier this month to allow Border Patrol agents to cut the wire. That's right. When you mentioned that this poses a risk to human life, there were some deaths involved in this case, right, Kimberly? That's right, Lydia. So there's been this series of really unusual supplemental briefings in the case while the parties were waiting on the justices to act on this one. So in one, the Biden administration noted that a woman and her two minor children had actually drowned while attempting um, to cross into the U.S. And, you know, U.S. Solicitor General Elizabeth Prelogger stopped short of really blaming Texas for those deaths. But she did emphasize that Border Patrol agents were not able to monitor the border because of the fencing. Um, So there are a lot of other claims, almost all of which are disputed by Texas. So what did the Supreme Court decide to do here? 
Well, on Wednesday, the justices finally issued their order, siding with the Biden administration and allowing them to cut the wire fencing. The court, though, did not explain its reasoning, but four members of the court, Justices Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh, noted their dissent. They, too, did not explain why they would have ruled against the Biden administration. Wow, that's helpful. Um, so, <laughs> Yeah, right, Lydia. I mean, so this isn't the end of the saga, as I sort of hinted at before. Governor Abbott issued a statement saying that Texas isn't backing down. Um, whatever that means, we'll have to wait and see. There's active litigation over other parts of Operation Lone Star. But one thing that does seem really likely is that the justices will probably have another opportunity to weigh in here. Hmm. We will update you all uh, next week about that February 8th argument on former President Trump's disqualification from the Colorado ballot. We're going to have on Notre Dame professor Derek Muller to give us the rundown about what to expect in those cases and sort of, you know, what the impacts might be. Until then, you can follow along with all the latest Supreme Court news at news.bloomberglaw.com. Hello, podcast listeners. If you don't already know On the Merits, our weekly podcast devoted to legal and government news, it's a show that features the very best of Bloomberg Law and Bloomberg Government, newsrooms that boast among the largest number of credentialed journalists in D.C. When you listen to On the Merits, you'll hear about the groundbreaking developments in the courts, in Congress, and in the alphabet soup of federal agencies that run Washington and our nation. Our show is by and about legal policy nerds, and we say that lovingly. It's a nerd's eye view of what professionals in the legal and government space need to know, but you do not have to be a nerd to listen. Check out our show on the merits and find new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find our archive of shows at news.bloomberglaw.com slash podcasts.